you have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Yeho out there in podcast land, Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 21 of Dramatic Travels Family. We are back to the regular format. We just came off a week of daily episodes. We call this little experiment Dramatic Travels Daily. Every day over the last week, I've released an episode of Dramatic Travels Daily to help keep travel on your mind. So I'd love to hear what you thought of that daily format because if you love it, I want to produce more of it. I want to get more of those daily episodes out to, again, help keep travel on your mind every single day, no matter how hectic your life gets. I got a wonderful review from in Apple iTunes this week from someone who identifies herself as the high energy girl. She says, thank you for the inspiration to travel. I need to get the hubby to listen so we can enjoy the world together. Really appreciate that rating and review in iTunes. And my friend, if you take just a moment to leave a rating and review for Dramatic Travels Family in iTunes, you can expect a shout out on next week's show. All right, my friend, away we go with today's guest. Her name is Brianna Zajcek. She is from the One Year Project. You're really going to enjoy it. Away we go. Dramatic Travels family, I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Brianna Zajcek. Brianna, are you ready to share with us your Dramatic Travels? I'm very ready and I can't wait to share. Excellent. Brianna is an eight-figure entrepreneur and researcher who built and sold multiple companies only to find that she wasn't happy and to decide to design a new life she loved in just one year. She's now on a mission to help the world achieve their dream life and business in just one year through her work with the One Year Project. Brianna, that's your official bio. Let's hear from you. Tell us about your business and your personal life. Give us some details. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for many years and a researcher, but more than that, I've always been a person who's very persistent in overcoming any obstacle I've ever faced. And that persistency and strategy is really two of my biggest strengths in any obstacle that's out there. I can persist through it and I can come up with a strategy to basically achieve anything I want. So I'm taking those natural gifts that I've had that have allowed me to transform my own life in very short time periods and helping to share those with the world and with other people through my work with the one year project. Excellent. Let's just dive straight in and tell us, Brianna, that's, you've done so many wonderful things and it sounds like you're on a great path, but I'm dying to know. Tell me how travel has played a part in your life. So travel has been a huge part of my life as a young child growing up very impoverished. We didn't really go anywhere. And when I say anywhere, I mean that maybe twice before the age of 18, I went to an Applebee's or a formal restaurant. So being so poor that going to Walmart was a night out on the town and not really knowing what the world was like out there outside of my small little bubble So I remember very, you know, being from small town in Georgia, I remember very distinctly going to Atlanta for the first time as an older teenager and thinking, wow, this is a whole 
other side of the world. And this seems more me. So I remember that was kind of some of my first experiences with travel. Um, I had the, I uh, had an aunt who, when I was younger would fly me to California and let me stay there for the weekend or for a week or so over the summers. And so I began doing that around eight to 10 years old. And that was some of my favorite times, favorite memories. And as I got older, one of my driving motivations was just to go out and see more and do more. So um, it became one of one of my motivations, and um, I used it many, many times. And as I got older and started my own businesses and became more successful, traveling became not only a fun outlet, but something I could do for you know expanding my business as well. Well, I love that you mentioned how impactful it was just to travel outside of your small town into Atlanta. Because that can be a big deal for someone in a small town, especially in growing up in a, in a impoverished upbringing the way you described. Can you go back in your head and just dig into some of the emotions that were going through your mind when you made those trips from your small town into big city Atlanta? Well, I think, you know, just like most people have maybe that feeling when they go to New York for the first time or something like that, I had this feeling of there are people out there that aren't so impoverished. There are more opportunities than maybe I've ever realized that people live life differently than how I'd lived life. And just knowing that gave me a spark of hope and desire to see what else was out there. And it sounds like that most of that motivation came from within. I would agree. I I think the first time I ever felt like I was different or that I was going to be great or do great things or travel far and wide was around the age of three. And it was just this internal knowing. And, um, I'm sure, you know, my upbringing probably had some impact, but for the most part, it's been something internal. So three years old, that's awfully young to have such a a perspective on the world and that internal knowing you described, can you think of any particular instances when you're, when you were that young, where you were around other people, people in your town and you're saying, you know, I'm just not quite like these people. There's, there's, I'm meant for more. Can you, can you think of an instance? When, when I was fairly young, my mom was suffering from some mental illnesses and I remember being three and everyone else, all the neighbors and all the other kids, they wanted to watch cartoons and play with dolls and my favorite show was This Old House. For some reason, I liked watching houses being built. I wasn't, a, you know, I just wasn't a normal little kid. I didn't want dolls. And when, for my third birthday, I asked for a tracing table. Now, the reason I wanted a tracing table was because I knew money was an issue in our family. And I wanted to create my own money. So I took this tracing table, I took a dollar bill that I'd saved, and I spent hours and hours trying to perfect my own duplication of money. And and so I remember the next time we were at the store, I picked something out and mom's like, we can't afford that. We can't get that. And I said, don't worry, mom, I've got money. And she thought maybe I I did have money. So we get to check out and the woman swipes it and I hand her my fake money and she just kind of laughs and my mom apologized. And internally, I was so frustrated because I didn't think it was an issue of being counterfeit money. I thought I didn't trace it good enough. I've got to do better <laughs> next time. <laughs> but I, I, you know, the, the, those are just some little instances. Um, I can remember being older around 16 when I made the decision to kind of run away and go to college and thinking, okay, if I don't leave this town, I never will. And there was some conversations, even as young as fifth grade, when my teacher like called in my parents and said, you know, she's 
She's got suspicious behavior. She only speaks with adults at school. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't talk to anyone. She doesn't seem to want to talk to anyone unless they're an adult. And I just remember not having anything that I could relate to other children about because I always felt like talking about different things and doing different things. And you say you had thoughts of running away and going to college. You don't necessarily always hear that put together that way. It's like, I run away to join the circus, run away to join the army, run away to go be a hobo and ride the rails. No, Brianna ran away to go to college. So tell me about that whole process and how you arrived at that decision at 16. Yeah, I was around 16. I had already started um, working. I'd been working since around eight years old because my family had been in some you know, accidents and misfortune and I had to help, help pay the bills. So even at, you know, at a very young age, I would call churches and ask them if they could send us food or firewood because we didn't have heat and just different things like that. And so around 16, I was starting to make some money and I thought, you know, I was caring for my parents, my family. And I thought, you know what, if I don't get out now, I never will. I don't know where that thought came from, but it was just that thought. And so I thought I needed to go to college quickly. I couldn't wait until I was 18. So I applied, I I, I went online, did a tons of research and I found out that there were programs where I could graduate high school early, even though I wasn't on track to do so. And then I could apply to college and get full scholarships and go to college essentially. So I applied to all that, got all the signatures from principals and teachers and everything I needed and got accepted and got full scholarships. But I never told my parents about any of this. And the reason was, was because my parents were very um, controlling. I knew that they wouldn't like the idea. So we're over the summer we're at the store and my parents are picking out school supplies and putting pens and paper and pencils in the cart thinking I'm going to high school. But I knew I was going to college. So as we start approaching the checkout, I get super nervous and I'm like, Hey mom, I'm sorry. I can't let you get these because I'm not going to high school next year. I start college in two weeks. And she threw a huge fit and said I was too young and that that's not a proper place for a young woman. And, um, I basically ran away to college. So presumably in this town you grew up in, college is not on the radar for a lot of people. So what, how did you, where was the seed planted in your mind and when that college is something that I need to do, even though most of the people in this town, that's not even on their radar? So I hadn't really ever known anyone who wasn't poor. And the only people I knew who weren't super poor would be my aunt and my grandfather on my father's side. And my grandfather on my father's side, he um, was an immigrant from Poland as a young boy, came over here without a family, and he managed to lie about his age, get in the army, and, um, you know, save money, use that to go to school, and ended up fairly well off. And then my aunt was the only person I ever known who basically gone to college and graduated, and she had multiple PhDs, and she was probably one of the wealthiest people I'd ever met. And when I say wealthy, I mean, she didn't have to worry about her power getting disconnected. <laughs> and she always had food in the fridge. She so, wasn't soliciting for firewood. Yeah. And my, my grandfather used to always kind of talk down to my father and say, Hey, you know, you dropped out of Clemson and that's why you're poor and I'm not going to help you. And so, um, it was just ingrained in me that that was one of the ways that people you know, wouldn't be poor. And the only people, you know, who I went to school with and things like that, who weren't severely impoverished, their parents were doctors and lawyers and and those sorts of things. So, uh, and there weren't very many of those either. So it was just the only thing I knew. I have this saying that you can't want more than, you know, exist. And so for me, that was the best at that time I knew existed. 
And so as I kind of grew as a person and saw more and more pieces and parts to the world, I could want more in different things, but all I could want was the best I'd ever seen. Wow. So basically the, the handful of people, which it sounds like a pretty small number who did have some success as adults were college educated. And you made that association college equals success. But I love that quote. Uh, you can't achieve more than, you know, exists. Is that how, how you said it? Basically you can't, want or desire or work towards anything, uh, more than what, you know, exists. So as a young child, I thought, you know, being rich was a three bedroom, two bath ranch where your parents owned a car and they had a license and insurance at the same time, (laughs) you know, and as you know, now being an adult and having a wider worldview, um, you know, my, my outlook has changed and that's just because I've been exposed to more and more. Right. It sounds like you've spent significant time stripping away limiting beliefs about what is possible in this world. So, so let's keep on the theme of travel here and tell me how travel and seeing the world has helped strip away those limiting beliefs that showed you that there's more that exists out there that you can want. Sure. So I think one of the most impactful trips I've ever taken was uh, an extended trip that I took to India. So right as I was becoming successful in my own right, Um, I'd say I was around 20 years old, maybe 21 years old. I I went from being an admin assistant to the vice president of a company and helping to take it from $6 million to $40 million. And that allowed me to do things like travel. And we had offshore operations where everyone was working from home in India. And we, we grew to a point to where we needed to set up formal offices. So I flew to India and had to basically find an office and get, you know, hire employees. And once I hired them, I had to train them and then I had to teach them to hire other employees, basically set up an entire company in a foreign country. So that was a huge learning experience in, you know, poverty to the opposite effect, even worse than I'd had it in some cases. And so seeing that gave me an even wider worldview and living there for several months while I set up that operation. Um, really sparked in me the need and the desire to travel more and interact with other cultures because I came back feeling like the person I was, was different. And I saw things differently. And because of my understanding that that was very, very powerful, I wanted to experience that more often. I mean, the transfer, the transformational power of travel is very real. And what you said was fascinating. And I don't think I've ever come across anybody, put it just like the way you did, where you, for all intents and purposes, you came from the poorest of the poor in your mind. And then all of a sudden you're across the world in India. And now you've had some success yourself and you're seeing living amongst people who are poorer than you were. And that is remarkable. I love that you shared that story. And so what kind of, tell me about some of the relationships that you, you formed with the locals in India during your time there. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories, which is I had a driver while I was in India because it wasn't very safe for, for, for a young American you know, woman to travel the city, the, the, the streets of Mumbai at night alone. And I was having to do that because I was working U.S. time. So I was working really middle of the night, middle of the night. So I had a driver who would drop me off to, to, to the office and bring me back. And this driver was such a sweet man. And he reminded me of what I would call an an average taxi driver in the U.S., except for he happened to be Indian. 
I knew that he wasn't that poor because, I mean, he had clothes, he had shoes, he had a home, he had a wife, he had children, he had a job. So he wasn't, in my eyes, that bad off. So, you know, while I was in India, I had my daughter with me and I had my mother with me who was helping to care for my daughter while I was working. And one night I'm on the way back home from work and I knew that they hadn't eaten. And so I was like, okay, can we stop by the pizza hut on the corner over here and grab a pizza? So as we're there, there, I knew he was going to, you know, once he dropped me off, go back home to his family. So I said, you know, hey, do you want to grab a pizza for your family? I'd love to treat you guys. So he said yes. And he smiled as big as I've ever seen anyone smile. And he walks outside of the pizza hut and he um, asked to use my phone. And I give him my phone. And all of a sudden, I'm just seeing him have this long conversation. He's kind of excited and I don't know what's happening. And I'm waiting for the pizza order. And I come back out there. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? And then he told me. I don't know what pizza to order. My kids are very excited. They've never had pizza in their entire life and they've always seen it and they've always wanted to have some, but they'd never had a pizza before. So he was calling his wife and kids and they were so excited about something as simple as a pizza and they'd never had one before. And this was what I would consider somebody who was better off than most people in that country. And it was just one of those moments that you, you can't even understand a perspective and then you're sitting there watching it and it's, it's crazy. And then how'd the rest of that night play out? Oh, it played out very, very well. He took his pizza. He thanked me a million times and, and I took my pizza and, and went back and that was kind of that. But, um, there, there were a lot of, you know, other moments that, that weren't as happy as well. So my mom is very heart centric and I would consider caring and, and, and emotionally driven and so we were at a, um, the gateway to India and we are doing some tourist things. We're taking photos and there's this group of orphan children off to the right and the orphan children, there was a, probably about a 10, maybe 12 year old boy who was in charge of, he was basically running these children around to help them beg and help them make money and things like that. And one of the little kids was supposed to, was around two to three years old. And he was going around selling people, I'll take your Polaroid picture for you by the gateway of India. Two to three years old, this guy has a job. <laughs> and as he's going and doing that, I saw him go up to a couple. The couple said, no, thank you. A little boy leaves. And when he walks back over to the group, this 10 to 12 year old boy picks up a huge stick and starts beating the crap out of him. And so my mom runs over there and tries to intervene. Okay. And there were police and guards and people everywhere, but that was not something that they acted on there. That was part of the, the societal culture at the time. And so she's crying and she's freaking out. And she's almost to a stage where she's going to get us in danger because she's trying to save this little child. And it was hard to explain to her that there was nothing we could do. And that was, that was kind of the opposite side of that good feeling. Um, and there were, there were other times where, you know, I'd be in a, in a taxi and I go by a corner and there might be a six month old infant on a very, very busy highway, just sitting alone on the corner of a sidewalk in the middle of an intersection with thousands of cars going by and no one watching it. And it's no one's child. And it's actually putting its hand out because it thinks it can get food or, you know, who knows what. And it's, 
it's things like that, 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 you know, kind of change your perspective. Yeah, that is both of those stories equally heartbreaking, but the, the image of the, the six month old in, on the road, that's, that's hard to, it's hard, it, to imagine. it's hard to imagine having lived my entire life in this country. Even I have spent a significant amount of time outside of this country. I've never seen anything yeah. quite that heartbreaking. So how would you describe the lasting impression of, of those moments, the good and the bad that you described uh, on just on your life in general? Well, I think, you know, even though those were significant moments and memories that I'll probably never forget, there were, there were lots of other takeaways that, that were interesting to me, such as learning how Indian culture, and this is just one example of many cultures I've interacted with, but learning how they view friendship and how we view friendship was something that was kind of life-changing. They view friendship as almost like you are a God to them. And so it, there was a night where I wasn't feeling comfortable with the hotel I was in. I was having some issues and someone I met offered to move out of their house and give me their house. Now I have best friends in the U S who, if I was stranded on the middle of the road with a a flat tire in the middle of the night might not answer my call. And these people offered to move out of their own home for me, having barely known them. And so, you know, learning about different values and different perspectives is probably what I took away the most. And I think also, you know, one thing that's deep seated in almost all cultures is religion to some extent, having grown up in a very strict religious background, you know, thinking there's only one way to believe or have faith and then seeing good people all around the world of different faiths was something that also is probably a huge lesson to me and widened my own perspective. Yeah, that is, that's powerful stuff. And to anyone who's traveled and seen other parts of the world, you can, I'm sure you can relate to at least pieces of Brianna's story. And for those of you who haven't out there in podcast land, the, it's these types, types of stories. This is, that's the reason this podcast, this, that's the reason dramatic travels exists because these stories need to be heard. Um, there's these inspirational transformational travel experiences. They're out there and they're for everyone. They're not just for the select few. And if there's anyone who's living proof of that, it's Brianna who, as she described earlier in this interview, did not come from wealth, did not come from, from uh, parents who had the means to send her around the world to get her education. She came up from, rose up from that and was able to see the world, you know, in spite of all that. So that's huge takeaway and huge inspiration, all of it. So let's flash forward to, to today, Brianna, and the one-year project. So let's, let's hear about it. I'd love, to, love for you to have the opportunity to share with Dramatic Travels family what the one-year project is all about. The one-year project came about when I was at an interesting phase in life where I'd built and sold several companies. I thought my whole life the answer to being happy was just to, to, to make enough money and to have enough success and to have the freedom to do things like travel. But I came to a point where I traveled a ton of places and I've been to multiple countries and I partied all over the world and I'd, you know, been in five-star hotels everywhere and I'd done a lot of things and I had everything, every goal I'd ever set, I'd achieved everything I'd ever wanted. I had, so I had the nice cars, I had the houses, I had the luxury travel. Um, you know, I, I had a good marriage. I had beautiful children to, to all extents and purposes, I had everything. And 
around the same time, I was part of a PhD program. So now I had the education and the career and the contacts. I mean, I really had it all, but I was unhappy. So I woke up one day and it's just that feeling that I think you get. And I think everyone's had this feeling before of, I don't want to call that person or I don't want to read that email or I don't feel like opening my laptop today. But for me, it was a a, a lot more than that. It was uh, nothing that is in my life right now. Do I want to do today? It, you know, the comp- the millions of dollars of companies I built, I didn't actually want to run and be a part of the PhD program. I'd spent so much time and energy and focus on getting into and, and thriving and working my way up. I was feeling like an outsider and, and I knew internally that I was meant for more and I could feel my potential and I could also feel that this wasn't it. And so I knew I needed to change something. And right as I was coming to that realization, my son was diagnosed with cancer and it all kind of happened at once. And so in kind of a a mad flash, I opened up a PowerPoint and I just titled it Brianna's Eye Checks Life. It was the middle of the night and I remember it very clearly and I still have the PowerPoint actually. And I came to this conclusion that even though I'd accomplished everything, I wasn't happy. So maybe I'd set the wrong goals. So then I had to think, well, how could I set the wrong goals? And I thought, well, maybe they weren't aligned with who I really was. So then I thought, well, then who am I? And so just kind of going down this train of thought and my research as a PhD was in predicting if an entrepreneur will or will not be successful and understanding the cognitive science and the AI and and things like that. And so I wanted to take everything I knew intangibly about the patterns of success, which was something I had studied and created, and then take it from this thing that we put in scientific journals, the only people who write in them and their friends read or even know how to interpret or use and say, well, what is the action? Because how does the person who wants to be successful actually take this and implement it into their life and feel successful, happy, and fulfilled? So I wanted to take things from these knowledge and answers that we have that are all theoretical and say, how can I apply this into action? And then how can I use that and do it in just one year and apply it to my life and apply it to the life of others? So I created this PowerPoint. I woke my husband up. It's like 4 a.m. or something. I'm like, look. And he's like, what's that crappy PowerPoint? And I said, what are you talking about? This is my life. And he's like, and then I asked him something very strange. I don't know where it came from. I said, give me one year. He's like, one year, Rena, you've had plenty of years. Like you work three hours a week. And like, no, there's no reason why you can't have anything you want. But I needed the permission to spend it one year where nothing I could do would be questioned, where people wouldn't care if it was dumb of me to quit my PhD, where people wouldn't care if it was dumb of me to sell my successful companies. And I could just do and follow my heart and do what felt right to me and then implement everything I knew about success on myself. So I did that, got amazing results, felt good, felt great, radically transformed my life in less than a year, shared that on social media. And then there became a point where I realized my history of my life was in rapidly taking overcoming obstacles and transforming my life in a short time time period whether that was going from a server to making six figures or making six figures to selling companies or you know all sorts of things uh and then my research and interest was in the patterns of success and so i combined it together in what i call today the one year project which is 
I help people to transform their life and to design a life and business they love that's aligned with who they really are in just one year. And it's a, it's a podcast and a, and a movement. And I'm just excited to help people stop feeling stuck in the life they have and actually design one and design the right business for them that can take their life to the next level. Excellent. Let's get, we'll get to some more of the details about the one year project in a minute, but you opened a loop while you told that story. And I want to give you the chance to close that loop that you mentioned that your son had cancer mm-hmm. or was diagnosed with cancer. Can you take us through that story? Sure. And so, to its, to its conclusion, or at least up until present day. Yeah, I can, I can, I can take you guys through that story. So my son was, has always been kind of a rowdy boys boy. And he had this thing around two years old where he would go around the house trying on all of our shoes, whether it was my husband's shoes or my shoes or my daughter's shoes. He was just always putting on all of our shoes and walking around. So one day I noticed he was limping a little and I thought, you know, oh, it's him roughhousing and walking around the house in these huge shoes and probably falling out of them and, you know, told him not to do it anymore. And over a couple of days, it went away. Well, I was actually vacationing in Miami and right towards the end of the trip and he was with us. I started noticing he was limping again. And this had been, a, this, this was a month or so later. And I thought he'd done something jumping on the hotel bed or something to that effect. Um, didn't think too much of it and thought it would, it would heal right up. By the time we got back to where we were living at the time or where we live now, which is Atlanta, he was limping and it just didn't feel like it was healing as quickly as I thought. So took him to the doctor and he said, you know, we don't see anything wrong probably just screwed it up. He'll be fine. A day or two later, I wake up and I was kind of panicked because it was later than I usually woke up. Usually he's my alarm clock would come in, wake me up crack of dawn. So he's not there and I can see that the sun's bright and high and I'm like, Oh crap. Is he okay? What's up? Go into his room and the light's still off and he's sitting straight up in his bed and he's not talking, but you know, kind of crying. I thought, okay, well maybe he was exhausted. Maybe you want to sleep for longer. So I cut his light on and I go in the kitchen and I'm cooking breakfast, went back in there. And I'm like, what are you doing? You can come out. And he didn't really say anything or anything. And he just seemed tired. So I walked out again. And then the third time I went in there, he cried and lifted his arms up. And I was like, not going to carry you everywhere, but you know, blah, blah, blah. So I took him out and I'm carrying him. When I got to the kitchen, I sat him down again and he fell straight to the floor. He couldn't stand. So he went from being fine one day to not being able to stand the next day. And immediately, you know, that's, it's scary. You know, you wonder like, is he paralyzed? What happened? Like immediately just cannot stand or bear any weight or walk or do anything. And he was completely healthy a day or two before uh, the, the very night before I put him to bed. So start going to doctors. They realized it was something serious. Um, found out he was diagnosed with cancer one of the, the biggest things I like to share about that story is that a nurse came in after he was diagnosed and said, hey, here's all of your programs and paperwork. So she's going through all this paperwork and she mentions, you know, 88% of parents who have a child diagnosed with cancer will get divorced. I'm like, well, you know, how is your marriage? <laughs> like, you know, what was that? What was that percentage? One uh, more time? I think it was 80 or 88% of parents who have a kid who's diagnosed with cancer will end up divorced. And I was, you know, like, you know, we're fine. We have a good marriage like next. And so she gets to the next thing. And the next thing is like, Oh, here's a summer camp for your daughter who's healthy and well and doesn't have cancer where she can go to this summer camp with other kids 
who have siblings with cancer. And I said, no. And I pushed it away. And then she's like, well, here's a mom support group of mothers of kids with cancer. And I said, no. And I pushed away. And she's like, you know, you're really going to need these tools. Everyone needs them. I said, no, I'm not making our life about cancer. We're not wallowing in this. We are not a cancer family or the mother of a cancer patient. This is us coming to the hospital once a week. And that's all it's going to be. It's not going to take over our life. It's not going to become the central focus of our life. And I think that's probably one of the most important decisions I made in regards to that. Um, flash forward to today, and it's you know it's a it's a four year treatment plan, and that means four years of me not traveling basically because I have to stay at home and care for him, or else he'll be in the hospital and or he'll get sick because he's under chemo, and nobody wants that. So it was very, very hard for me to go from traveling everywhere and going places all the time and taking my family and we were fairly nomadic to I'm locked inside these four walls with a sick child who is on medications and unhappy a lot of the time. So that's probably been the hardest part for me. And during all of this, I started my one year project and decided to change my life. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's crazy, but it's all been a blessing in disguise and and he, you know, for all you know, intents and purposes, he's is healthy and happy little kid and he'll be fine. And we don't have any worries about if he's going to recover or anything. It's more just the hassle of spending those years of your life in that state, which is less than ideal. So did you ever at any point end up connecting? I know you essentially it sounds like you just kind of rejected the, you know, the support groups or the, the formalized support groups. Yeah. Have you ever, have you reached out or connected in with other families just sort of on an ad hoc basis? I have not. I haven't. No, the only thing, the only thing I've done is, you know, I, I tried to raise money for St. Jude because I think we, because we are entrepreneurs, we are blessed in that, you know, if I were a single mom working mother and this happened, what would I have done to pay the bills? How would we have survived, right? Or if we were two working parents living at max of our income, which most people do, what would our options have been? Most people end up second mortgaging their house, filing for bankruptcy, bankruptcy rates or something else she told us was very high and all these sorts of things because how are they going to care for their child for years while their child can't go to school and needs care? Um, and so I, I say in, in that extent, we're very, very blessed that we had the option to work from home and for this not to snowball into a series of problems, which would ruin our life. Uh, and your, your gratitude in that situation certainly isn't, isn't lost on me. Just thinking, putting yourself in the shoes of, of other parents who, for better or worse, don't have the same, the same means uh, to, to survive as you do. And I think that's wonderful and that you're thinking about it, you're doing things about it. And during all this, you managed to create the one-year project. Yeah. And I'd love to hear particularly about your podcast, because as a podcaster, I'm always interested in other people's journeys to starting a podcast. And I understand you launched on June 1st, yeah. which as of this recording is just one week ago. And I'd love to hear just a little bit about the podcast. Well, I knew I wanted to help people start their own one-year project and transform their life and business in just one year. Where I was struggling was what's going to be my my platform to build my audience and, and share my message and my mission with the world. And so I spent a few months kind of in this day of like, am I building a Facebook group? Am I on Instagram? You know, am I a YouTuber? What is my platform? What is my content channel? 
And during this time, I booked the first travel I had booked pretty much since he got sick, um, which was I booked a retreat to go to Bali. And so I um, headed to Bali. It was the first time I'd left my four walls in, in probably a year, year and a half or so. And when I got there, everyone was asking, well, what's your intention for this retreat? And my intention was to get clarity on what my content channel was going to be. And so I was kind of meditating and thinking through it. And out of nowhere, uh, during a meditation, I just came up with the idea, like your powers and your voice. And for me, when I thought, when I heard a voice, I thought podcast, and I was already naturally drawn towards the idea of it. So I said, well, that's it. I'm going to start a podcast. And that's, that's how I knew that that's how I was going to share my message. And now my vision has probably increased since then. And I think I'm going to be not only a podcaster, but a speaker as well. So, um, that's, that was kind of my journey to, to figuring that out. Well, that's awesome. I love that you, that you had that realization about podcasting. Cause I agree with you hundred percent, the power of the voice and just the intimacy of the podcast as a platform that forming that one-on-one connection with your audience and really genuinely, literally getting inside their heads with your message, or at least inside their ears and uh, the power of podcasting. It's very real. And I think you're in at a great time because podcasting is, is exploding. It's a wonderful, wonderful medium and virtually anybody can do it, which is again, the beauty of, of the time we live in here in 2018. So Dramatic Travels family, we're going to step aside for just one moment here from our nonprofit partner. We're going to be right back with Brianna Zajcek, and she is going to share some of her best travel tips with y'all. Stay with us. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address again is DramaticTravels.com flight. Light. Dramatic Travels family, we are back. We are with Brianna Zajcek from the One Year Project. And Brianna, it is time for you to share some of your travel knowledge with the Dramatic Travels family. Brianna, how do you best capture your travel memories and give us a tip on using this method effectively? So what's funny is even though I've traveled the world, I don't have a lot of physical memorabilia, I guess is what you would call it in that I'm not very good at documenting it as I go along and taking pictures and videos. And part of me feels like maybe I robbed myself of an audience and an opportunity by not documenting all of the cool things I've done. But from a personal standpoint, I like to just take in the moment when I'm places and not be so busy trying to pretend to be happy that I forget to enjoy it and actually be happy. Um, But that being said, one of the interesting things I do when I travel is every every country I go to, every city I go to, I buy a piece of artwork from a local artist. And so if, if, if you guys ever come to my house, which I don't think you will, but if you ever did, I have paintings from all over the world and it's one of these cool little things that I do. And usually you can get, um, canvas paintings, which will just wrap up in a tube and I bring it on my carry on. And it's, um, it's cool to think back, not only at the artists who created it, because a lot of times I, I, I get to know them, but also just the feeling 
of that city and that location and that time is very wrapped into that piece of art. And it takes me right back to where I was when I bought it. And that is what capturing travel memories is all about, my friend. It's being able to go back in your mind and just relive those emotions of the moment uh, that you went through. And just to kind of tag on to Brianna's story, I can kind of, I can relate to the flip side. I've shared this story on the podcast before, so I'll be brief. It's one of the very few regrets I have from my travels. I was in China in 2012 and I had the good fortune. I got to have lunch with some locals who, um, in just a local neighborhood, our tour guide actually took us on one of our off days from our, from touring around Beijing, took us to his hometown and we got to have lunch with one of his neighbors and her, the woman who cooked us lunch and her husband was an artist and he was in the back room most of the time he was painting and was, had offered to sell us some of his artwork and it was beautiful artwork and it was really inexpensive. I mean, less than $20 for some original piece. And I was hemming and hawing. And my whole thing was, I don't want to carry it because we were on the front end of our trip and I don't want to have to carry it home. And I passed on it. I passed on the opportunity and I kicked myself the whole rest of the trip. And I'm still kicking myself to this day for that exact reason. It would have been such a wonderful, beautiful way to have captured just the essence of that day because it was a wonderful day and it was a wonderful trip. And I missed out on that opportunity. And so instead of being able to go back to that moment with the painting, I can go back to that moment of regret in my head yeah. and say, what? And I'm back in that kitchen in, in Beijing kicking myself for not buying the artwork. So, Well, I think another cool thing is because it's a display piece in your home, when mm-hmm. other people visit your home, they'll often mention something about a piece of art, especially if it, if it's nice, a nice piece. And so I get to tell them whatever story I relate to that piece of art. And I can almost bring them into the experience as well. So it's a great way for me to share different perspectives with the people who visit my home as well. I love that. It's very... You know, personal way of sharing those memories. And we all love Instagram. It's a whole lot of fun to share your photos on Instagram, but that intimacy of sharing something like a unique piece of art with someone who's actually in your home, that's, you know, that's on a whole nother, whole other level there. So Brianna, recommend for us a travel related book and tell us why it's so special. So one of the first books I read when I was wanting to become an entrepreneur, I knew it was part of my path, but wasn't quite an entrepreneur in my late teens, early twenties was I read the four hour work week. And even though it's probably one of the most quoted (laughs) cited books ever, I think hearing his stories, Tim Ferriss's stories of how he, you know, learned martial arts in Brazil and how he created a, a life for himself that he considered the new rich, which was rich in experiences versus rich in material things and how he could leverage different currencies and how he could travel the world and still make good money. It really showed me the potential past corporate America. And it's something that I'm very grateful for to this day. Um, and, and, and I think I've, I've learned a lot more than just that from, from that book and other books I've learned too. Uh, one of the the great secrets I always tell people is that you sell people what they want and you give them what they need. And his book's a great example of that because he sells you on the four hour work week. But what he really gives you is that you can design a life you love if you care about the right things. Um, And he also gives you the tools and resources you need to work less and do more those systems, those virtual systems, and all those things which allow that to be possible. I'm sure 99% of people who read the four-hour work week never end up having a four-hour work week, but that wasn't really the point. He lured you in with that, and then he gave you what you needed, 
which was an outside perspective on the different options in life and how to really scale something while removing yourself. Perfectly said. Yeah. And out there in podcast land, if you're one of the few people who hasn't read the four hour work week, we're going to link that up in the show notes so you can check it out. And while we're talking about Tim Ferriss, who's the author of the four hour work week, he had a podcast episode two or three weeks ago that I thought was remarkable and very relevant to this discussion where he went through several inspirational entrepreneurs where they spoke about specifically about travel and how travel impacted their journey and contributed to their success. I'm going to link that episode up in the show notes as well, because I think it's extremely relevant to this conversation. So head over to dramatictravels.com, check out the show notes for this page for all those links. Now, Brianna, what is a gadget or a tool that you always travel with that just makes every trip better? I'm going to flip the script on this. There is a tool that I regret not having every single trip. And I have this one friend who's, when I travel with her, she always has, has it and I use hers, but I never have one myself. And that is a portable battery powered backup battery for your cell phone. Because when you travel, you use your phone usually more often to capture moments, to check your flight details, to check into your hotel, to find directions. And when you're on other data networks, everything's super slow. So you tend to run your battery dead quicker. And so having just a little portable, small um, charging device, which is battery powered or, you know, not even it even or even it's tr- rechargeable from your computer, I think is one of the things I always regret not having. Well, out there in podcast land, if anyone's looking for a Christmas present for Brianna, we know it to get her. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. All right, Brianna. Give us one piece of advice, just one rock star, solid piece of advice for parents looking to inspire their children to travel, but don't know where to start. Well, I don't think you can know who you are in this world if you don't know what's available in this world. And so I think letting your children know that the answers they seek are both within them and outside of them, and they won't be able to find those answers until they've explored what's all around them. Explore what's around you. Start in your hometown. Or uh, if you live in small town outside Atlanta, get into Atlanta. Check it out. <laughs> yes. You never know uh, what's going to light that spark. And it's most likely can start right here or right there in your own hometown. It's only right here if you're in Sacramento, which is where I happen to be right now. Brianna, thanks so much for, for taking the time today. And before we say goodbye, I am a huge believer in putting your intentions out into the world. And that includes your travel dreams. Brianna, what is one travel dream of yours that has not come true yet? I had a vision not too long ago of myself speaking in front of a crowd that I could only call ginormous. I, I, I would imagine it was maybe 100,000 people or more. And it was not in the U.S. I don't know where it was, but I, I imagine speaking in, at an international event or venue. Um, and as I was speaking to this crowd, I was touching their lives and that it was not in the U S and I was traveling around doing these sort of speaking events. So that is something that I think I, I feel pulled towards, um, bringing to life. Well, we know you can do it and we're definitely going to be following along on your journey and the one-year project. And we want to know uh, when, when that travel dream comes true, whatever, whatever foreign city it happens to be, wherever you're out there changing lives, we certainly want to know about it. Brianna, where could folks go to learn more about you and the one-year project? 
Absolutely. My podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. It's the One Year Project Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at, at the One Year. I also have a Facebook group called the One Year Project Design Your Dream Life. Love it. And my friends out there in podcast land, we're going to link all that up in the show notes. Once again, head to DramaticTravels.com. It's going to be all right there. You can link up to Brianna Connect, say hello and follow on. Follow her on the One Year Project or better yet, start your own One Year Project with Brianna Zychek. Brianna, have a good one. Thanks so much for joining us on Dramatic Travels. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, indeed, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to Dramatic Travels Family. There is more to explore from this and every episode at DramaticTravels.com. See you next week, my friend. And remember, your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So put some emotion in your motion. See you later.